Hey everybody, George Robson here, Worship Arts Pastor at Ocean Grove Online Church. Welcome to another one of our podcasts. I want to encourage you to stay with us for this week's scripture reading and message. Well, good morning. Um, just want to express uh, some words of thanksgiving to Pastor Rich for uh, sharing his pulpit with me this morning. For those of us who teach and preach the gospel, there's no greater joy. And um, so I appreciate him sharing that joy with me. It's, it's hard to think about joy in our lives with what's going on in Ukraine and these dear folks that are going through such a difficult time. We just need to keep them in prayer and uh, pray for peace. Let me begin this morning with a rhetorical question. I'm sure it's rhetorical. You're reading along in your Bible, and all of a sudden, this phrase, verse, word pops out at you with flashing red lights and sirens, and you say to yourself, where did that come from? I I have read that passage a hundred times. I've never seen that before. Um, Why does that happen? I chalk it up to the fact that I just wasn't ready to hear it. Uh, I wasn't mature enough spiritually to uh, receive whatever bit of revelation God wanted to give me through that particular passage of Scripture. And it's kind of like expecting a five-year-old child to understand the law of gravity or why he's not as big as his daddy. His mind just has not grown enough where he can grasp an idea like that. So that was the context when that happened to me. We were in a Bible study, Judy and I, with Pastor Rich in Hebrews, and uh, we got into chapter 10. And this phrase, five words, just hit me right between the eyes. And I can tell you that it has had the most profound transformative effect on my understanding of what it is to walk by faith and walk as one who is, is an heir of life eternal. The five words are these, no more consciousness of sin. Now, let me just say real quick this morning, don't ever, ever uh, take what somebody tells you about the Scripture at face value. Always uh, compare Scripture with Scripture. Uh, I don't care how educated they are, how successful they are, how big their church is. Be a good Berean. And by the way, that's not a breakfast sandwich at Taco Bell either. Uh, Check it out, Berean, um, and always test what you hear. And likewise, if you hear me say something this morning and it just doesn't ring true, doesn't add up, something in your spirit nudges you and says, I don't know about that. Well, wonderful. I hope that happens. Check the scripture, find an answer for yourself. Um, I'm going to give you a little head start on that task. Um, In uh, chapter 10, verses 26 through 29, there are four verses. And um, if you want to check out uh, what I've said this morning and compare Scripture with Scripture, don't read it now, but write it down. That's 26 through 29. And Pastor Rich has graciously uh, said that he would answer any questions that you have regarding um, those questions. four verses of Scripture, all right? Um, Before we get into Hebrews, Hebrews is really a tough letter. Chapter 10 is even worse. Um, You have to have a little background in Hebrews 
Hebrews is basically about a comparison between the old covenant under Moses and the new covenant under Jesus. It compares the inadequacy of the Mosaic covenant to redeem the worshiper perfectly. As opposed to the cross of Jesus Christ under that covenant, where he is eternally adequate to redeem us perfectly. So let's, you have it in your Bible. Please look at these, um, at these verses, if you will, verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence, and King James translates that boldness, to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus into the holy presence, namely the presence of Almighty God, by the new and living way that he, God, opened for us through the curtain or the veil of the temple that was torn in two when Jesus was crucified, that is through his flesh. So he's drawing an analogy here between the veil of the temple and the flesh of Jesus. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true, honest heart, as opposed to hypocritical, in the full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from a guilty conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now that, my brothers and sisters, is your invitation to come into the presence of Almighty God, the creator of the universe, with full assurance, confidence, yea, even boldness. Why? Because you're accepted by him fully and completely from the very moment you believed and received him to that very, this present moment in time. So having read that, let's just pray. Lord God, I ask that your Holy Spirit would bring alive your word this morning. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. A Sunday school teacher asked her little class of, I guess, seven or eight-year-old kids, uh, how many of you here want to go to heaven? And uh, they all raised their hands, with the exception of one little girl, Lucy, who, who did not. And Miss Jones said, Lucy, uh, don't you want to go to heaven? And Lucy said, oh, of course I do, Miss Jones, but my mother told me I had to come straight home after Sunday school. And I tell you that, whatever that was, um, because unfortunately I've met far too many believers in the course of my ministry uh, who want to go to heaven. Um, They don't have to go right home after Sunday school. But for some reason, they just don't believe that they're godly enough or good enough to get in. They know Jesus, but they can't bring themselves to believe that that experience that they had with him is locked in, signed, sealed, and settled for all eternity. Why would a believer be unsure? Well, I think one of the causes of that is that among certain sections of the church, there's this thinking that if you can somehow keep people wondering about the assurance of their salvation, that is going to promote a greater, higher level of holiness of living in them, that they're going to, to, to do more for God. Um, in other words, and I'm not saying this is ever done intentionally because I don't believe it is, uh, it's just a fruit of a theology of sin that is short-sighted. And I think it causes a fear of losing that relationship with God. And so what do believers do? They keep working harder and harder and harder 
but they're never satisfied that they've done enough. Listen very closely, will you? If you have been born of God's spirit, if you have asked the living Christ to live in you and lead you, um, you never, ever have to come before God wondering if all your stuff is forgiven, wondering if you haven't forgot something, forgotten something, or um, that your slate is truly wiped clean, or whether you're going to be saved today or lost tomorrow. You never feel like that. When I was in, in, in seminary, when we had our free period, those of us who thought we were theologians, really quasi-theologians, uh, we'd get together down in the cafeteria, we'd drink coffee, and we would entertain these impossible theological conundrums, you know, like how many angels can fit on the head, head of a pin. And during one of these sessions, one of the brothers, wasn't me because I wouldn't take credit for this, um, he said, what, what would happen if, let's say you went to bed at night, you knelt before your bed, you confessed all of the sin in your life that you could think of at the moment. And you went to bed in the middle of the night, you had this ungodly dream that somehow got churned up out of the dark recesses of your subconscious mind, and you died in your sleep and you couldn't confess it, would you miss out on heaven? Now, I know that sounds terribly ridiculous uh, and absurd, but I think it illustrates a pathology of the soul when it comes to this assurance of salvation. By the way, if you're interested in this kind of stuff, since angels are non-corporeal, uh, they don't take up space, you can fit an infinite number of them on the head of a pin. In uh, 1654, Puritan Thomas Brooks wrote this. He said, assurance is the believer's ark where he, she sits Noah-like, quiet and still in the midst of all distractions and destructions, commotions and confusions. However, most Christians live between fears and hopes and hang, as it were, between heaven and hell. Sometimes they hope their state is good, at other times, they fear that it's bad. Now they hope that all is well and that all shall go well with them forever, but then they fear they'll perish by the hand of such a corruption or the prevalency of such and such a temptation. They are like a ship in a storm tossed here and there. It is my joy this morning to announce this, however, that there is an anchor and that anchor is Jesus, and his anchor always holds. Amen. Ours may not, but his always holds. And yet there are some, I believe, who wonder even if his anchor holds. And so rather than having uh, upbeat, positive, uh, shouting, confident Christians, we have doubting Christians. And, and rather than having a no-so-confident salvation experience, they have a, well, I hope so, or I'm not really sure salvation. You don't have to live that way. Amen. Now, you may not agree with me, and that's fine. I know John Wesley uh, probably won't. But um, you'll have to forgive me this morning. I believe this within the depths of my soul. 
I believe that you have had a salvation experience with Jesus Christ. You ought to know it. And if you have it and know it, listen to me, you can never, ever lose it. Now, how can I say that? I can say that because, and I'll speak for myself, I didn't do anything to earn it. So what would make me think I could do anything to lose it? How can I say that with such confidence? Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, For by grace are ye saved through faith. It is not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I, um, when I was a youth pastor at over, over at Oakhurst, uh, my second year, I, one of my responsibilities was to visit the hospital, and so I visited this woman who was a member of the church, and she was not feeling well or doing well. And during the time that we spent together, I had the joy of leading this woman to a, an experience of Jesus Christ uh, and his salvation. Uh, and I, I left the room. I met her nephew, who was a member of the church, coming up the hallway. And he said, how's she doing? And I said, she's doing wonderful. And he said, oh. Um, and I said, she just been, she's been saved. And he said, he looked at me like I had four heads. He said, how can anybody know that? You can't know that. Nobody can know that they're saved. Um, but saving faith, and this guy wasn't a churchgoer. He was a churchgoer. He wasn't an atheist or an agnostic, but somehow he'd gotten this, this doctrine that, that, he, that wouldn't allow him to accept the full assurance of salvation. And yet I know that saving faith is a firm foundation. It's an anchor, not walking around on eggshells in the presence of God. It's evidence and substance and confidence and, yea, even boldness from the very moment of our rebirth. So how does your heavenly Father want you to come into his presence with the full assurance of faith? Faith in your good works? No. Faith in your abilities, your achievements? No. In the body and blood of Jesus? Nothing more, nothing less. Let me just add a footnote here. First um, John 5.13, these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life, not wish or hope, but know. So let me ask you this morning this question, do you know? Do you know that you have eternal life? I mean, do you have the absolute confidence that when you take your last breath in this realm, that you'll spend eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ? All right, Hebrews 10, verses 1 and 2. Let's look at that for me, will you? The law, the Mosaic law, is only a shadow. Now, what is a shadow? It is a vague representation of the thing that it reflects. It is a shadow of the good things that are coming that is Jesus, not the realities themselves. For this reason, the law, the Mosaic law, can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect, that's the word. It means whole or complete, but it means much more than that. It means to accomplish, to finish, to bring to an end. 
So that word complete, make perfect, is an act in time, those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, the sacrifices would have stopped being offered. For the worshipers, watch, would have been cleansed once for all and would have had the no more consciousness of sin. So all of the offerings of the Old Testament, including the sin offering, were all just shadows of the real thing that was to come. And yet, our Jewish friends, my Jewish friends every year, they uh, celebrate Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. They have to do it again and again, year after year. Why? Because the minute they leave temple, (laughs) they have sins that need to be confessed. But the Bible is clear, isn't it? Sacrifices cannot make one perfect. That word perfect scares me. You know why? Because I'm not. So if this has anything to do with my behavior, I'm in big trouble. But when you read chapter 9, verse 9, you discover that being made perfect has nothing to do with our behavior. It has everything to do with our conscience. In other words, when we come to our Heavenly Father, we ought to be able to come with no consciousness of sin, no awareness of sin. As good as those sacrifices were, they could never permanently appease the wrath of God. And so they had to constantly be offered again and again. And that constant need to make sacrifices made the people of God sin conscious. Why? They were always thinking about the next offering that they had to make. And they realized that they were still living under the mantle of an angry God. The focus was all on sin and not on the union, which was the purpose of the sacrifices to begin with, union with a loving God. What mantle do we live under today? Romans 8. There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So let me ask you, did the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus on the the cross work? Of course it did. If that is true then, we ought not have any consciousness of sin, particularly when we know that our sins have been separated from us as far as the east is removed from the west and remembered no more. Well, then why do we remember it? Why do we feel like we have to keep bringing it to God? That's no different than our Jewish friends who had to make sacrifice for sins and then five minutes later had to take a sacrifice back again. Why did they have to do that? Because they did not have the cross. And we do. So my understanding of this phrase, no consciousness of sins, is simply this. And again, you may not agree with me. But if I try to bring my sins before my father, this is what he might say to me. My dear boy who I love, I don't know what you're saying. Because when I see you, all I see is the righteousness of my son covering you. You you don't have to bring things before me 
that I have long forgiven and forgotten. It was God who loved us. It was God who left his throne for us. It was God who sent Jesus. It was God who wants us free of sin consciousness. Let me just leave one verse with you here this morning, um, and that's Ephesians 1 and 13. And you also, that's you, were included in Christ when you heard the message of salvation. When you believed, this is what happened to you, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. John Piper says God sends the Holy Spirit as a preserving seal to lock in our faith, as an authenticating seal to validate our sonship and daughtership. Paul in 2 Corinthians said, and who has also put his seal on us and given us the spirit in our hearts, and this is the word, as a guarantee. Um, when I uh, left seminary, went into a full-time church, I, I was deeply committed to be the best pastor I could. And that meant that I had to be diligent about, you know, studying the scripture and prayer and sharing my faith with others and tithing and giving as much as I could. And I, I did that for years, constantly trying, though, to do better and be better. In, in the energy that I gave to those disciplines. But what I found over time is that my failure to often do that became so terribly frustrating, I wanted to give up. And then I met a fellow pastor who, who had the same struggles that I had and the same frustrations and the same failures about trying to be faithful. And yet he had found victory. And he shared with me one day this. He said, Richard, in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, the law of sin and death. O wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of flesh? And it's like somebody stabbed me with the sword of truth. And I almost heard God say to me, Richard, if you'd spend more time thinking about what I have done for you and am doing and will do and not on what you can do for me, you'll find the peace and balance in your life that you've always wanted. And so now when I, um, when I fumble and stumble and fail at keeping my commitment I look to a God who always keeps it for me. God is able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. And I believe that as a, a spirit-filled believer, God wants you to wake up every single morning knowing that there is nothing between you and him, that the slate is clean, not because of anything you've done or left undone, but because of what Jesus has done, because his shed blood has wiped your slate clean forever, past, present, and future. Let me encourage you to do this the next time you look in the mirror. When God sees you, he doesn't see some messed up, fallible person. He sees a child of his who he loves dearly, who is covered in the righteousness of his son, Jesus, loved 
accepted, graced, forgiven, covered, blessed, sealed, kept, and an heir of life eternal. Let's bow our heads in prayer together. I would just ask, as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I ask you a question, uh, whether or not you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that eternal life is is your hope and your future. And I want to ask if if you're someone who who is not sure, who wants to know, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand real quick. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. And if, if you're a person who is not sure and want to be, Lord Jesus, we thank you that there is a hope and a future for each and every one of us. We thank you that we walk in faith, that we walk in the full assurance of faith. We thank you that we are yours and you are ours and we will belong to you forever. We pray in the powerful name, transformative name of Jesus. Amen. We really appreciate you staying with us this time around. Remember, you can always search out other podcasts from OGC by looking up Ocean Grove Church or type in oceangrovechurch.com slash podcast question mark format equals RSS in your player of choice. And if you'd like other ways to stay up to date on all things Ocean Grove Church, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as Ocean Grove Church, on Twitter as OG Church, and don't forget our website, OceanGroveChurch.com. And you can contact us via email at OceanGroveChurch at gmail.com. Until next time, we bid you peace.